There was no such person. He never existed. If he did exist, then the stories about him are made up. Just legends added after the fact over time. The Bible belongs in the fiction section of the library. It's a fairy tale. I can't count the number of times I've heard uh, some sort of comment like that when I brought up the topic of Jesus Christ. I reckon most people on the street would hold roughly to that opinion, either that Jesus didn't exist, or that the accounts of his death and resurrection, that's his rising from the dead three days later, are just myths and legends, a fairy tale for grown-ups. So this morning, we're going to do something that I've never done before. Uh, In a sermon, we're going to do a thought experiment. We're going to follow that line of thinking to see what questions that throws up. The assumption I think most people make is that it's simpler to explain the world and history without Jesus' death and resurrection. But this morning, I want to show you that that's not quite the case. It's not quite that simple. That if you say that Jesus' death and resurrection didn't happen then there actually are still problems and questions that you still have to answer. I want to look briefly at five questions this throws up this morning. And as we do that, I have two goals. If you're not convinced that Jesus died and rose, I want you to think about how you would answer these questions. If you're right that Jesus didn't die and rise again, then there should be answers to these questions. Now, I'm not saying that sceptics haven't had a good go at answering some of these questions over the years. Indeed, they've been answering them or trying to answer them for 2,000 years. I'm not saying that any one of these is a knockdown argument that will convince a sceptic that Jesus did rise from the dead and that Christianity is true. But what I want to show you is that saying that it didn't happen is not as easy as you might think. And if you're a believer this morning, my other goal is that I want to bolster your faith a bit. We're going to see as we go through these that it's not so easy to write off Jesus' death and resurrection. So our first question that we come to, if Jesus wasn't real and didn't die and rise, then where did the church come from? Where did the church come from? There are nearly two billion people on the planet who are part of a church in one way or another. How did we get there? If nothing significant happened in the first century, then how did the church appear? You see, suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, something strange started happening all across the Roman world. Jews who had been Jews all their lives began eating pork. They began mixing with and even marrying non-Jews. They abandoned circumcision, a sign of their distinctiveness since the time of Abraham thousands of years ago. And not only that, thoroughgoing Greek and Roman pagans suddenly started worshipping the God of the Jewish nation in huge numbers. Jews and non-Jews, who had been enemies for centuries, suddenly became friends and started calling one another brother and sister, and teaching that we should love one another. What caused that to happen? What caused this group of first century Jews to abandon their Jewish identity and throw in their lot with hated Gentiles, non-Jews, and begin what we now call the church? 
And not only did they abandon their practice, their beliefs radically changed too. Polytheistic Gentiles, that's they believed in more than one God, suddenly started worshipping the one true God of Judaism. And Jews who were monotheistic, one God, started worshipping a man that they claimed was the son of God. Now both those things would have been anathema to both sides. What made them change their minds? What happened to these people? And we can date the appearance of the church pretty accurately. We see nothing of it before 30 AD, and yet by 64 AD, we know that there were a significant number of Christians in Rome, because Emperor Nero blamed them for the great fire of Rome, which happened that year. That's what history tells us. The church sprung up and spread incredibly quickly, and it was radically different from what had gone before. But how is that if there was nothing for it to spring from? So if Jesus didn't die and rise, where did the church come from? That's the first question that we need to answer. Where, How did it start? The second question that we need to ask is if Jesus didn't die and rise, then why do the earliest documents talk about it? As well as secular historical evidence, which does talk about Jesus as well, we shouldn't discount the evidence that we find in the Bible itself. Because actually, these are the earliest documents we have on the matter. But it's biased, people say. They're out to convince people that it happened. But that poses another question, doesn't it? Why? Why are they trying to convince people it happened? What convinced the authors to write these documents about Jesus' life? Several of them claim to be eyewitnesses. What were they supposed to do? What would be an unbiased account of Jesus' resurrection from them? Yes, I saw him, I spoke to him, I ate with him, as did many others. But on the other hand, there were some more who were sceptical. Actually, if you class that as an unbiased account, interestingly, that's what we find in Scripture. In Matthew 28, 16 and 17, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see that? Some doubted. That's incredibly honest, isn't it? Actually, the accounts come across as being honest accounts of what's going on. And the earliest accounts we have speak of Jesus' death and resurrection. So, for example, Mark's Gospel. It's universally agreed to be the earliest gospel. Uh, On Britannica, the encyclopedia, which is uh, class as not particularly a Christian document, it's it's, uh, sort of separate. Uh, and unbiased in, in one sense, they date it as AD 64 to AD 70. The later date there is given because it appears to predict the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which occurred in 70 AD. Those sceptical say that that would be impossible to predict or prophesy, so it must have been written around the time that the temple was destroyed. But in Mark's Gospel that was written uh, at that time, almost half, about 40% of the Gospel, deals with the last seven days of Jesus' life. So this Sunday's Palm Sunday, isn't it? Next Sunday's Easter Sunday. Basically, 40% of the book deals with the next week. That's, That's what it does. So Jesus' death is right there. And Jesus' death is alluded to, first of all, in chapter two of the book, right at the beginning. In the book, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection three times. 
one of those times is in a way that specifically affects the whole section of the story. What I mean by that is you can't just have added it in at a later date and sort of dropped it in there because actually the story around it is actually based on a statement that one of the disciples makes about Jesus and Jesus tells them he's going to die and then it deals with the, the aftermath of that. So it can't just have been dropped in, actually. It's part of the story. Mark's Gospel's been called a passion narrative with an introduction. That's basically saying it's the story of Jesus' death with a bit of an intro. So it's not the case that we find in the earliest Gospels that Jesus is a great teacher and that his death and resurrection were sort of added on to give his teaching a bit more weight. Actually, in the earliest accounts, it's his death that appears as the big thing. And then actually the later Gospels give more of his teaching, which came a bit later on. So his death and resurrection was central to the earliest accounts that we have. It's not something that appears to have been added later. But we have accounts of his death and resurrection even earlier than Mark's Gospel. Normally Mark is given as the earliest, but actually there are earlier even than Mark. Let me just give you one example. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. According again to the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, this letter, 1 Corinthians, was written uh, either 53 or 54 AD. 53 or 54 AD. That's within 20 years of Jesus' alleged death and resurrection. We, we know, don't we, that TV programmes like The Crown uh, are reaching events of uh, the late 80s, about 30 years ago. I know there are some Crown fans that are, are watching. And if you think about it, even 30 years ago, there are people around who can verify whether what's being said is true. People are debating, is this a true account of what happened? Most of the people described in the events are still alive 30 years on. How much more? This, this is even closer. This is 20 years on. They couldn't just stick in a historical clangor, could they? In either the Crown or in the Gospels. Because actually there are people around who know what happened. There are people around who could dispute it. If really, if anything, this is like writing about the events of the millennium, because it's even closer, isn't it? Now that feels like five minutes ago to me. I still remember quite clearly what happened uh, around that time. The music that I have hasn't really moved on from the early 2000s. So it just seems like five minutes ago to me. And that's the same distance between 1 Corinthians and Jesus' death. And what we have in 1 Corinthians is not just a letter with vague references to Jesus, or just a letter about his teaching. It is very specific about his death and resurrection. And his death and resurrection form the crux of the teaching. It's not been <clears throat> tagged on to something else. In chapter 1, Paul sums up his ministry as we preach Christ crucified. That was the thing that he said he taught. We see advanced understanding how Jesus' death was a fulfilment of the Old Testament. He writes in chapter 5, Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. There's a whole half chapter on the bread and wine that Christians eat explaining how it is about Jesus' death. And he appeals to Jesus' words on the eve of his death what he calls the night he was betrayed. Even details of the story in there. And if you think it's just his death that happened, the resurrection was the bit that is made up afterwards, well actually we had that chapter read to us, didn't we? 1 Corinthians 15. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And they appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul is not dropping a historical clangor. He's saying there are people that you can go and ask. Later on, he claims to be one of those very people that Jesus appeared to. His very argument appears to rest on the fact that many of these people are still around, are still alive. If Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, why would Paul dream of writing this? And where did he get such an advanced theology of Jesus' death and resurrection from if it was just a tag-on to Jesus' teaching? And why would he base his whole theology on a resurrection and a death that had never happened? Where did he get the idea from? So actually the earliest accounts that we have anywhere are explicitly centred on Jesus' death and resurrection. Even sceptics date them within 20 years of the events. It's not an idea that developed over time. If Jesus had not died and risen, then we'd expect the opposite, wouldn't we? We'd expect to find the earlier documents miss this and the later documents have it, but it's the opposite way round. So that's the second question. If Jesus didn't die and rise, then why do the earliest documents talk about it? Our third question, if Jesus didn't die and rise, then what do the Old Testament prophecies refer to? What I mean by that is that the New Testament claims that Jesus' death and resurrection were prophesied by the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. If they didn't happen, then what are those prophecies referring to? Let me just give you one example for time's sake. Isaiah 53, 3 to 5. It says this, this is from the Old Testament, written before Jesus was around. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Now Christians claim that this prophecy is about Jesus. It fits so well, doesn't it, with what we teach about Jesus' death uh, on the cross in our place, his suffering on behalf of his people. But if it's not about him, then who is it about? Now, for centuries, people claimed it had been added into the Old Testament by Christians at a later date. The Dead Sea Scrolls put an end to that. They've been in the news again this week that they've found some more in a cave. If you don't know what they are, have a Google. Um, but they're ancient scrolls of the Old Testament discovered in caves in southern Israel. Uh, I was going to say over 50 years ago, but it's probably about 70 years ago now. They were hidden when the Roman army came and, and ransacked that region in the first century. And there are hundreds of scrolls and scroll fragments, including uh, ones that we have like this, exactly as it is uh, today. So it's not been added in later. But if it's not about Jesus, then who is it about? Now, I could quote more, but we'd be here all morning. But they cover things like this. What tribe he was from? Whose descendant he would be? 
where he would be born, what he would teach, where he would teach, how he would be received, the miracles he would do, how he would be betrayed, where he would die, that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that he would be abandoned, that he would rise from the dead. Now a few things you could say coincidence, couldn't you? But all of these? The mathematical improbability alone means that it's worth a look, isn't it? That was what began to convince me as a teenager that there was something to this whole Jesus thing. That actually so much of it is predicted. But if those prophecies are not about Jesus, then who are they about? That's a question that we need to ask, isn't it? Okay, question four. If Jesus didn't die and rise, then who made it up? I remember someone telling me in jest that a missing page of the Bible had been discovered, and this is what it read. The characters and events depicted in this book are fictitious. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. You see those disclaimers, don't you, on uh, films and, and all sorts of TV programmes. But if that's so, then who made it up? If it is a work of fiction, who came up with the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection? The Jews of the day didn't deny Jesus' death, but they did deny the resurrection. They claimed that the disciples stole the body and that they made up the story. But if the disciples stole the body, then why would they be prepared to die for saying that he'd risen from the dead? History tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples were killed for their claims about Jesus. Pretty gruesome deaths too. Why would they go through that if they knew that they'd made it up. Surely at least one of them would admit their fraud to avoid death. The one who wasn't killed was John, who died of an old age uh, years afterwards as a prisoner. Again, why not just admit it and be freed? And if they had lied about this, why would they do something that so flatly contradicted everything that Jesus had taught them about truthfulness? Again, not just one of them, but all of them. And why would they write accounts of events where they look such idiots? Read the Gospels. Read any one of them. The disciples are always squabbling over who's best. Peter, who's supposed to be the best of them, denies Jesus at the key time. The rest abandon him and run away when Jesus goes to the cross. They do not come out in a good light. Now, if I was making up a Gospel... I put me in the best light. If I wanted people to believe me, I, I put me as the hero, almost, in there. You know, one that doesn't do anything wrong. But the Gospels really don't do that. Nobody would write this about themselves unless it were true. It doesn't fit that the disciples would make this up. So who else? Well, many Muslims believe the Apostle Paul made up parts of the story. They believe that Jesus was a real historical person... But uh, they believe that someone else was crucified in his place. Some believe it was Judas. Jesus in Muslim teaching never died. He ascended into heaven and they're waiting for him to return before the end of the world. That's what the Quran teaches. Most Muslim apologists claim then that it was the Apostle Paul who created Christianity. They claim that the Gospels are corrupted versions of one original that taught Islam and didn't include Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, it's an interesting idea, but it comes without a shred of evidence before the writing of the Quran in 610 AD, where those claims are made. 
That's half a millennia after the documents were written. And every copy we have of the earliest documents includes Jesus' death and resurrection. We don't find any one where it's missing. There's no evidence that the documents have been corrupted at a later date to add these events in, as we saw before. And whilst Paul may have written 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul didn't write any of the Gospels, which talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. And there are at least another eight authors of the New Testament, all with the same message about Jesus' death and resurrection. So it doesn't fit that Paul would make it up, because actually all these other people as well talk about the same thing. Last last suggestion for who made it up. Uh, Dan Brown would probably tell you it was the church. You probably know how the theory goes. There are loads of different books uh, going uh, back about this, about this person, Jesus. And uh, the church picked the ones that fitted their message at a council in 325 AD. Now, whilst this might be good to sell paperbacks, it doesn't fit the history. Nearly all the books of the New Testament were agreed on at a very early stage, and earlier lists exist. It was because people were coming forward with other Gospels that the need for an official list became apparent. Imagine, for example, if in a hundred years' time, somebody found a new Harry Potter book. Harry Potter and the headless headmaster of Hogwarts. Imagine that even though uh, it had J.K. Rowling's name on the bottom, it sounded nothing like her writing. Imagine that it contradicted the other stories. So it has Hogwarts instead of Hogwarts. That wasn't just my ignorance of Harry Potter. And Voldemort is, is, is portrayed as a misunderstood hero. Would you conclude that we need to rethink the whole series of Harry Potter? Would you think it oppressive if the publishers of Harry Potter took action to stop it being included in box sets of the books? Would you suggest altering the official storyline of Harry Potter to make Voldemort a goodie? Is that what you'd conclude from this finding? No. Let's be honest, you'd conclude that somebody had made it up years later and was out for a quick book. The church did not cherry-pick the accounts that it wanted. And that would still not actually answer the question of who originally wrote them, would it? Who did write those accounts? They're just protecting the accounts that they had, just as you'd expect any group to do. So thinking about this whole issue of who, who wrote them, a few months ago, uh, controversial psychologist Jordan B. Peterson was interviewed about his beliefs. Now, he's not a believer, and I don't agree with everything that he says, But he has such a good quote that I had to make a note of it. This is what he said about who wrote the Gospels. He said, I can either believe that a world is constituted uh, so that God took on flesh and was crucified and died and rose three days later. Or I can believe that human beings invented this unbelievably preposterous story that stretched into every atom of culture. And it isn't obvious to me that the second hypothesis is any easier to believe than the first. I'll read that again. I can either believe that the world is constituted so that God took on flesh and was crucified and died and rose three days later. Or I can believe that human beings invented this unbelievably preposterous story that stretched into every atom of culture. And it isn't obvious to me that the second hypothesis is any easier to believe than the first. In other words, if this story of Christ isn't true, then the people who wrote it, whoever they are, must have superpowers. 
because somehow this story has found resonance across all sorts of different cultures, all across the globe, across millennia and the rise and fall of empires. A message that has inspired art and music and culture. A story that speaks to us today, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. Who could write such a story? Who could make it up? Who made it up? That's our fourth question. Okay, last question. If Jesus didn't die and rise, then what power is changing the lives of Christians? Then what power is changing the lives of Christians? Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. But not just just some kind of party trick, he wasn't showing off. The Bible teaches that Jesus' death had a purpose. Picking up on that quote from Isaiah we had earlier, the Apostle Peter wrote, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Bible teaches that on the cross Jesus was bearing the sins of his people. The wrong things that we have done, said or thought. The good things that we have not done, said or thought. God placed our sin on Jesus on the cross and he bore it and died for it. That means God can justly forgive his people. Not brushing their sin under the carpet in some kind of cover up, but dealing with it. But it doesn't leave Christians as they are. It's not just a sort of get out of hell free card. He writes in that second part that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christians are those who are having their lives changed by the forgiving power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we have 2,000 years of evidence on file. The Apostle Paul who went from imprisoning Christians to starting churches. John Newton, who wrote our first hymn, who went from awful slave trader to church leader. Nicky Cruz, who went from gangster to gospel teacher. C.S. Lewis, who went from arch-sceptic to chief proponent of Christianity in the 50s. I remember a few years ago hearing firsthand the remarkable story of a Northern Ireland terrorist who had put his trust in Jesus and was now telling everyone he could find the good news about forgiveness. History is littered with accounts of lives turned upside down by the forgiving power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I know that this is the most subjective of the five. You know, this is their experience, it might not be mine. Surely joining any faith or any religion will change your life in some way. But in one way, isn't this actually the most real of all the five? This is the one where the rubber really hits the road. The claim of Christianity is that believing in Jesus' death and resurrection won't just change your mind, it'll change your life. It won't just add going to church to an ever-burdening list of things to do, but will bring you real joy, peace and forgiveness, and a relationship with our all-loving, all-powerful creator through his son Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, ask a believer. Find out what made what a difference Jesus has made to their life. In fact, with all these things that we've been talking about, all these questions, do your research. Go on Google. See if there are any answers to these questions which satisfy you. 
Don't take other people's word for it. Do your own thinking. Ask questions. Seek answers. See if it really is intellectually credible to say there was no such person. He never existed. See for yourself if the Bible belongs in the fiction section of the library. I suspect what you'll find is that it's not as simple as you first thought. I want to finish with a quote from an investigative journalist called Lee Strobel, who started looking into these questions to disprove the claims of Christianity. Uh, This is what he wrote in this little book. I've got a couple of copies if you want one. uh, Drop me a line. It's called The Case uh, for Easter. This is what he wrote uh, about his uh, investigation. He said, I started my original investigation as a spiritual sceptic. But after having thoroughly investigated the evidence for the resurrection, I was coming to a startlingly unexpected verdict. One final fact described by a respected philosopher named J.P. Morland clinched the case for me. When Jesus was crucified, Morland told me, his followers were discouraged and depressed, so they dispersed. The Jesus movement was all but stopped in its tracks. Then after a short period of time, we see them abandoning their occupations, regathering and committing themselves to spreading the very specific message that Jesus was the Messiah of God who died on a cross, returned to life, and was seen alive by them. And they were willing to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming this without any payoff from a human point of view. They faced a life of hardship. They often went without food, slept, exposed to the elements, were ridiculed, beaten in prison. And finally, most of them were executed in torturous ways. For what? For good intentions? No, because they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had seen Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Can I encourage you to look into the facts? Look into, does it stand up uh, to scrutiny? And I pray that God might, like he's done with countless people through the years, open your eyes to the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection.